I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Today we're continuing looking at this portion of God's Word, and last week we looked primarily at the first six verses, and today we're going to focus our attention on verses 9 and 10. Um, And normally, at least in these first nine chapters, we're going to take larger sections, but um, today and the next week we're going to also take a smaller section when we look at the discipline of the Lord because that theme is, is developed again in Hebrews. But today we want to look at honoring the Lord with your wealth. But for us to get the context of uh, what we're going to be looking at, let's read Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life, And peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, it is beautiful word. But Lord, it is a word that we cannot receive. We cannot embrace. We cannot obey. Without the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just ask very humbly. Would you illuminate the eyes of our hearts? Would you incline our hearts toward this word? Would you soften our hearts? Would you convict us, Lord, of where we have not walked with you? And Lord, would you just help us to trust you? To trust you with all that we are and all that we have. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that this spirit of yours has been given so that we can discern spiritual things. We now ask that as your spirit works, that we, your people, would respond. In Jesus' name, and together God's people said, Amen. 
As we said last week, these verses, 5 and 6, are, are verses that are precious to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. We love these verses. As we said, we love them so much at, at, at Christ Community Church, we have them on the wall outside. We, we have seen as a, a people who began in an instant in a parking lot, we have seen God's faithfulness to us uh, when we had no plan, no idea of what God would do with us as a people. And we have seen for eight years, we've seen God provide and bless through good times and hard times. We, we've seen that. So trusting in the Lord is at the very heart of what we want to be. It's at the very heart of what our testimony is. We've trusted, and He's led, and He's provided. But let's be honest. These are easy words to make a slogan in life. It's easy to say, I'm going to acknowledge God in all my ways until it comes to that one way you don't want to acknowledge God. It's really easy to trust the Lord with all your heart till you come to that one thing you just don't want to trust God about or you feel like you can't trust God about. You just feel like, I've got I've to hold on to this. I've, this area, this is me. This is on me, not on Him. And I'm afraid if I trust Him with it, He'll let me down or He'll lead me astray. It's really interesting to me that, that right after he says this about trust, that you come down to verse 9, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Because we're, we're willing, we're, we're ready to say we're going to trust God with all of our heart. But when it actually comes to our stuff, when it comes to the dollars in our bank account, when it comes to the money we earn, no, nah, not so much. If it is difficult for us in the 21st century to trust God with our wealth, it was no easier for people in the Old Testament. They, in fact, had less. God gave them many of uh, His commandments about the tithe and about giving while they were refugees in the wilderness. He, he tells them that this is to be their practice, that they are to honor Him with what they have. That it's an important principle. That it really is a foundational reality. So, so this trust is an inner reality. You could tell me right now, you know what I do? I trust the Lord. But when he comes to honor God with your wealth, he's now saying this is an outward manifestation to at least yourself. That what you claim is on the inside of you, namely you trust Him with all your heart, you acknowledge Him in all your ways, that it actually affects everything about you. Many of you have heard the famous statement about General Sam Houston after he was led to faith in the Lord. And he became a very generous person. And people asked him, why are you such a generous person? Why do you why do you contribute so much to the work of the Lord and the causes for Christ? And he says, 
When I became a Christian, my pocketbook was baptized too. How many of us would have to say today, you know what, I don't know. He's got my heart. You know, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, you know, my mind. He's got that. You know, I'll study the word. I love him. I'll sing. I'll raise my hands. But when it says strength, among other things, it means our resources, what we have. Does that belong to God as well? Notice in these verses, there are several realities given, commands about our relationship with God. And this is going to set the stage for for all of the Proverbs that come. But notice in verse 5, trust the Lord with all your heart. Verse 7, second half of it, fear the Lord. And then verse 9, honor the Lord. So you have trust the Lord, fear the Lord, honor the Lord. These are these foundational aspects. This is, if you're trying to build your life upon that rock that Jesus talks about. You want to be the wise man building your house upon the rock, not the foolish man building your house upon your, on the sand. You've got to hear the word of the Lord and do it. And so it begins with a trusting God and a fearing God. As we've said, sometimes this idea of fear the Lord, even in our memory verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is, this is an uncomfortable verse for us. It just feels wrong, right? But, but notice, we don't fear someone who is inconsistent. We don't fear someone who is malicious. We don't fear someone who is evil. We don't fear someone who is intent on hurting us. The fear of the Lord is there because we realize just how blazingly good He is. He is absolute light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so what the Bible says is the fear of the Lord is that beginning of wisdom. Then what we do is is the other side of that coin is we can trust Him implicitly. If He says it, It is true. If he calls us to do it, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And what do we what is faith? Faith comes through hearing and and hearing through the word of Christ. So so to fear God means when he speaks, we take it seriously. Those of you who are parents, you you know um, if your child takes you seriously, if you ask them to do something and they just act like you're not even talking, right? You know, you know that you kind of don't weigh a lot in their universe. You're, you're, not, you're not really that significant. Now, you, you don't want them to fear you in the sense of, oh my, they're going to be abusive to me. But you do want them to esteem you, to, to, to value you. And it's not just that, you know how kids are. They'll come up and say, oh, I do, I love you, I love you, I love you. But they won't obey you. Well, What good is a love that's in the heart that is not manifested in the life? So let's just be clear. This is one of the keys to the first nine chapters of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, before we get into the collection in chapter 10, where you have 375 of them coming at us from every angle, this is the preparation. It says we need nine chapters to get our hearts right. 
The heart is so deceitful. It's so wily. It, it's got so many angles. I mean, the, 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 the purposes of a man's heart are deep. Who can draw them out, says Proverbs later on. And this is what he's trying to do. The, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the writer to Proverbs is trying to get us to plumb the depths of our heart. Over and over again, this is about the, the, the reality of the Old Testament. And as Jesus even says it again, it is not about exterior, superficial obedience. It is about a heart that is for God. It is about the depth of who we are when no one sees us, when no one is making us do this. Teenagers, you know that, that, that idea, you obey your parents, but when they're not looking, you do what you want to do because your heart is not to do what they say on occasion. And God says, I want your heart to be right. But don't misjudge God and think that he only wants your heart and he doesn't care about how that manifests in reality. The heart is not the end of the matter, it's the beginning of the matter. The beginning of the matter is, is your heart is right to God, but the end of the matter is, is then it manifests itself in honoring God in every aspect of life. Honoring Him in every aspect of life. Notice, before we come to our verses for today, it says in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. This is, according to Proverbs, the greatest sin. That's the greatest sin. The self-directed life. That's the one. If you think, this seems like a great way to live my life. This seems like a good foundation for my marriage. This seems like a good foundation for, for my family. This is, I, I, I'm going to do it my way. You know, th that's kind of the world. I mean, you, you ever been to like uh, or heard you know Frank Sinatra's My Way people love that song people they just cheer they love it I did it my way this is exactly what the writer to Proverbs is saying is the greatest problem thinking that you've got to figure it out this is what I think I figured out the way to live nobody else has ever figured it out this is when we become adolescents this is probably one of our greatest problems our greatest problems is we think we know stuff that nobody else has ever figured out. I remember being a teenager so clearly. I just thought that I was so smart and my parents knew nothing. It only took a few years for that illusion to disappear. But here he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. What, what, what do you do? You fear the Lord. So let me just say this. You can't know... You're not at the end of your life, but you've got to set a path right now. You've got to start building on a foundation, and you're either going to do it because I think this is the way I should live my life, or my friends think I should live this is the way I should live my life, or the world says it's the way I should live my life, or you're going to actually fear God and say, you know what? He says this is the right way to live life. This is the right things to believe. This is the right path to be on, and even if I can't see it, even if everybody else is doing the opposite, I'm going to get on this path. I'm going to build on this foundation. That's what it means to fear the Lord here. It's, it's not cowering in the corner. It's, it's saying, all right, God, I can't see it, but I believe you. 
I believe you. You know, this is one of the things when I read the Gospels and people say, why do you believe in God? And there are lots of reasons I believe in God. But you know one of the reasons it's most profound to me that I believe in God is because I have no other explanation for Jesus Christ. No other explanation. How can a man be so good, so pure, when every other man and every other woman is so far short of the glory of God and you look at him and you just see this this splendor, this purity, this perfection, this balance. And and so here, this this being fearing God is, is, is... Fearing him, not because he's bad, but because he is just so fully good. But notice, the fear of God means you are going to come to him, trust him, but you're going to turn away from evil. And who defines evil and who defines good? It's God. It's not polls. It's not candidates running for president of the United States. It's not university professors. It's not articles written on the internet. Please, please do not determine whether something is right or wrong by doing a Google search. I've had that happen to me. People say, you know, is it right to live together before you're married? And they do a Google search and they come back and tell me what they found. I'm like, that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's really, uh, that's incredible. We don't do that. We, we find truth in the word of God. And, and what does he say? Isn't this beautiful? So you fear God, you turn away from evil, and then you're just going to have a life filled with drudgery, right? No, notice the next part of the verse. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It will be Healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Literally, that healing to your flesh, that's the word. It, it, it just doesn't sound very good in English, but it literally says it will be healing to your navel. It's what it says. It will be healing to your navel. Um, lots of reasons that they've speculated. Rabbis have thought, why did they say you know that? But that means to the center of your physical being. Also, that, that spot of the, the uh, umbilical cord, that the center of your human physical life. So, so let me just tell you this. Following God, remember we talked about this last week, don't, don't oversell the idea of perfect health, wealth, prosperity. That's, that's, that's wrong teaching. But there is ultimate health, wealth, and prosperity after death And there is many blessings that come physically, spiritually from following the Lord. Not without affliction, not without tribulation, but there is so much. And we just see practically how when we follow the ways of the Lord, it blesses us. Even to the health of our body, to the healing of our navel. And then it says refreshment to your bones. This is a Hebrew, a Hebrew expression m- meaning psychological well-being. Now you say, wait a minute, that's healing your bones. But if you think about it, David says uh, uh, about how after he confesses his sins, his bones rejoice. Or before he is still under his sin, how his bones are crushed. 
And it's that feeling. I mean, we, we use that same language. When we are psychologically down, we feel crushed, right? And, and here he's saying that the very core of your being is going to rejoice. And, and I, I don't know about you, but is this not true? I mean, literally everything in life can be going against you. Everything. But when you know that you trust the Lord and you fear him, man, you just can go through anything. You can just go through anything. Even, even, even when you are just so discouraged, you just can keep on because you go, you know what? I'm, I'm headed. I'm headed home. I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. He is the way. He's the path. It'll be refreshment to your bones. And then we come to our two verses for today. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We begin by looking at that word honor. That's a little different word, but it's interesting if you remember as we've studied Old Testament and various occasions together that the word for glory in the Old Testament, kabod, it, it means heavy. It, it, it can mean, like for example, talking about Eli, and it says when he found out about his sons who were killed in battle, it says he fell over backwards and broke his neck because he was kabod, he was heavy, right? Heavy guy, falls over, elderly guy, breaks his neck. That's, that's the word. Well, that's the word for glory, but... The word for honor is kabed, not kabod. It's very similar. It has the exact same root, and it means to be heavy. So in other words, when it says honor the Lord, is, is when you're weighing everything in your life, you weigh God the most. God weighs the most. Uh, uh, God is of the greatest value. He is uh, the one who has the most social weight. He is the one who has the greatest prominence in your life. And let's just be clear. If we are not trusting God with our finances, then we are saying we trust God with all of our heart and in all of our ways acknowledge Him, but we are not manifesting it in the very way that the Word of God says. That way is where you manifest it. Why? Because don't we all know that one, that finances and the wealth that we have, those are the areas, one, that, that you can become most attached to, but they can also be the scariest when you don't have them. Right? I mean, almost everybody, all of us in America, there's never been richer people, but I, I don't know many people and probably nobody in this room that goes, you know what, I've got too much. Just never meet anybody who says that. You know what? I'm doing great. I've got more than I need. Occasionally it may happen out there, but most everybody, it doesn't matter how much your salary is or how much you, your income is, everybody feels like, man, I just, if I just had a little more, I could make it. If I just had a little more, and so there's so much that is both on the side of of desire and wanting inappropriately and so much on the desire uh, on the other end of fear. We fear not having wealth. I mean, you think about the irony of this, right? On our money, it says, in God we trust. 
I mean, there's really a lot of irony in that, right? I mean, the reality is we really trust a piece of paper that if you've ever lived in another country, you know this reality, that money could be worth nothing. We lived in Mexico in the 1970s for a year, and their peso devalued unbelievably. I mean, people would, you know, to go buy a bar of soap, you'd come in with a stack of pesos that big, you know, because money was devalued. I know some of you still have your Confederate dollars waiting for them to come back around and be useful, right? You're thinking that it's going to happen. But, but let me just tell you, what the Bible says is, is we tend to trust in our wealth. Why? Because it, it provides for us, right? It provides, and we all know that's kind of our security. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're, we're planning. We're planning for retirement or we're planning for a rainy day. How significant that money is. And God is saying, look, I want to get to the... It's like God is a, he's a divine surgeon. And he's coming after me and he's coming after you and say, all right, you spout out those words like you're the holiest person. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All right, do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me? Or do you fear not having that? Do you fear that? Do you trust it when you have it and fear it that you won't have it? Trust me. Fear me. And he comes at that very, very issue. That one that, as I prayed earlier, the verse that's really been sticking with me all week is Jesus in Luke when in the Sermon on the Plain. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You know, I mean, do you see, we're, we're strongly confessional church. You know, I, I, I think we could give a good biblical explanation for what we believe. We're, we're hopefully very faithful in that way. You know, first confession of faith, Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord over your finances? Do you honor him? Do you trust him? Do you actually fear more displeasing him than holding on to what you have or not having what you think you need? So this is what this verse begins with. It's, it's honor. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Notice when he comes there, he says, honor the Lord. So, so give weight to God. A public, visible manifestation that God is the weightiest thing in your life and do it with the thing that you are most inclined to trust in other than Him. Honor the Lord. And when they throw out that word Lord there, this is the covenant name, Yahweh. Honor Yahweh. Honor, honor the, the God who pulled you out of Egypt. You didn't have a bank account in Egypt. You didn't have anything that was really yours. You were a slave. It all belonged to Pharaoh, and he could take and have whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. You had no schedule of your own. You were forced to work seven days a week. Do you know how sweet it must have been for them by divine command to be able to not only have, but it was an imperative 
that there was one day out of the week that they would not work. It was a divine imperative, and they'd never had that. They just were at the whim of an earthly leader, and now they were under a a leader who knew how he had made them and what they needed, that they needed one in seven for rest and for refreshment, for worship, for, for gathering together with the people of God. He says, so this is the one. This is the one you're to honor, the Lord. You're to honor that saving, rescuing, redeeming Lord with your wealth. We said this last week. You know, they're wandering around in in the desert. Um, They apparently have stuff. They've got herds that they've carried with them. You know, they've got their animals, their livestock that they take out of the land of Goshen. Apparently, they've got gold that they plundered from the Egyptians when they just went and asked them, and the Egyptians are, take my gold and leave, right? Because they, they, they do the great task of turning it into a golden calf, you know? <laughs> That's what they do with gold. They've got some stuff, but they're not agriculturalists yet. They don't have um, uh, uh, land to farm. They don't have a country. They're They're refugees. They're landless people, except God has promised them a land, and he's promised them a harvest in that land, and he's told them that back in the the Pentateuch, and now here, many, many years later, after they're in the land, he's reiterating this. You've got to honor the Lord with your wealth, because what happens? When they had very little, God tells them, you need to give, You need to honor me in this area. But he he warns them, when you get into the land and you build your house and you plant your fields and you have your children, beware. When everything is going your way, you're going to say, look what I did. Isn't that true? I mean, tell me, one of us in this room that does not somehow feel like at your life, right? Look what I've done. Right? Look what I've done. Look how I have succeeded or whatever I have. This is, this is what I have accomplished. Yet, I mean, at a most fundamental level, he says, the strength to do that work comes from God. And You couldn't get up in the morning. You couldn't have the wisdom to know how to do what you do. You would not have the blessing. You know, think about Tom. We've talked about this a lot of times. One of the things, one of the most miraculous things about farming is you can do a lot of work, but you absolutely cannot make that plant grow. And you cannot make it fruit. You do all of this work, but at the end of the day, you are dependent upon a power that you have no control over, but that you can reap the benefits from. And what he's saying here is you've got to honor the Lord with your wealth. Do you realize that anything and everything that you have is a gift from him? And are you showing? You know, I mean, I like the old saying, if if you gave... For a spiritual audit, if you gave someone your checkbook and they were going to convict you of being a Christian or not a Christian, would there be enough evidence on the basis of your checkbook and what you support from your local church and ministries 
and helping people? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or they would say, you know what? Looks like everybody else is. Spend it on themselves. So we've got to honor the Lord with our wealth. Let me, let me just say this. This is one of the hardest realities, but it is one that God will not let go until he gets it. Because if we love stuff more than we love him, if we trust stuff more than we trust him, then we have not learned the foundation of the spiritual life. We, we, and he will. I mean, you think about it. In fact, if you don't believe me, just notice what the very next words are in, in verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. You know, we think about the discipline of the Lord in every area. There's also financial discipline that God brings. I mean, you just think about the decisions. How many people, Christians, non-Christians in America, massive debt, You know, one of the realities, and they understood this, you know, in Israel, apparently, by this point and a little bit after, one-sixth of the people in the Old Testament were slaves. This is amongst the Israelites. This is, and you can figure this out, they do this by calculating the number of returnees from the exile in Babylon and doing a proportion. So one-sixth are slaves. Do you know what, as far as Hebrew culture, what made you a slave? There was only one thing that would let one Hebrew enslave another. Debt. And if you don't believe it, it is a slave master today, isn't it? It is a slave master. And how many of us feel that weight of, oh my goodness, I got to keep going and I, I can't get sick and I can't lose my job and I can't because I'm, I'm, I've got this slave master over me. And here God is wanting to say, I want you to be a free person and the foundational reality is it, it doesn't begin with great financial planning. It doesn't begin with all that. That's going to come. It starts with saying, I'm going to honor God first, foremost. And as I said in verse 11, he makes clear, if we don't do that, he disciplines. He disciplines. I think nationally we're under discipline. Christians, we're under discipline because this is an area, if you look at um, a lot of studies, people who study this, Christians have never made more and have never given less to the church than they do now. Um, one study, it gets confusing how many of these, but, but just for an illustration, of Christians, less than 3%, less than 3% of Christians give 10% or more of their income to the Lord through the work of the local church. And even all of the things they give to don't come up often to much more than 3%. We've never had more and never given less. And let me just tell you what this means is. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Is the Lord the Lord of your pocketbook? I I just want to tell you, Christian life is so practical. It's so wonderful. God wants you to have freedom. And the first step is to say, Lord, you know what? I wouldn't have a penny if it weren't for you. 
I wouldn't have any strength. I wouldn't have the wisdom. I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I have. I wouldn't live in this time, in this age, if I didn't. I'm going to start by honoring you. I'm going to begin there. And you know what? Once you've made that fundamental commitment, he starts to give you wisdom about how to save and how to spend and how to invest. God is a God who, he's written a whole book about wisdom, but not wisdom for selfish ends, but wisdom so that as you honor him with with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce, then he teaches you how in good and godly ways to use the rest. Notice, as he says then, give weight to God with your wealth. In the second part of that verse, it says, and with the first fruits of all your produce. So many different passages that we could look at, but let's turn back to Exodus 23 to see a few things about this. Exodus 23. We've been studying first fruits on Wednesday night. Um, it just so happens that both of our studies are in the Old Testament same time. It's not normally that way, but it is right now. And he says, let's, um, let's look in verse 14 of chapter 23. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast, of first, the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Notice then again back in, in verse 15, the end. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Um, let's just briefly talk about this. What are first fruits? First fruits just simply mean that the, in, this was an agricultural society, so your, your crop in the spring, your wheat harvest, um, your barley harvest is starting to come in rather, and so at the time of unleavened bread, you offer a portion of that, the very first portion, not the the worst part of the field, you go to the very best part of the field, the very first part of the harvest, and you take it and you offer it to God. So it's the first and it's the best. Now, that's talking about the nature of the gift. It's not talking here about the amount of the gift, but we know over and over again in the Old Testament what that amount is. It's, it's 10%. It's the tithe. So tithe always references amount, and first fruits references the nature of the gift. It's first and it's best. And so you, you have these two concepts that are flowing. And, you know, people today, we think when we say tithe, that word doesn't mean a lot. Hebrews 7 defined it very, very clearly for us. But a tithe does not just mean a contribution or I give a lot to God. Uh, um, a tithe is a percentage. It means 10%, right? And there are lots of people who say, oh, we don't have tithing in the New Testament, da-da-da-da-da. You know, a lot of things I'd say about that. Certainly, legalism is not um, in our heart, but this is the thing. 
if people in the Old Testament who had living before Christ, before the fullness of the redemptive work of God, they've been taken out of the land of Egypt. We've been taken out of the land of hell by Jesus Christ. And they had the Spirit among them. We have the Spirit in us. Would our response to grace be less than their response to law? Why would we say, I want to do less than somebody who didn't know as much and didn't have all of the blessings? And so it it kind of goes backwards. You think about Jesus when he was confronting the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, you know, you, you, you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, and you've neglected justice and mercy and and he said, this is what he says, you should have done the former without neglecting the latter. He doesn't say, you know what, by the way, tithe, I'm here, tithe's done. Right? And tithe is not, an, is not something we just like say, well, it's, it's whatever. It's 10%. It's 10%. And, and that's, that's the beginning. And this is, you want to know, well, how could I honor God? You figure out. This is a beautiful thing about God's economy. It is not about an amount. It's about a percentage. So if you were a child and you had just a dollar, you could do this. You say, I'm going to honor the Lord with 10 cents. I'm going to do that. That's, that's, that's a tie. That's not an offering which is above and beyond it. But you say, I'm going to honor the Lord with that. You know, we, we think about it today in terms of some amount. So you've got somebody that you know, they make $1,000 and they give a, a hundred, and we think, well, that's nice, but you've got somebody who gives a million and they give $10,000, and we go, oh, wow, they're doing great. They haven't given a tithe. The tithe is directly related to how much God has blessed you. If you have more, then the tithe is, is more. But God is saying, I want you to recognize that as you trust me with this, that I will provide for you. Look with me in Malachi 3. Malachi 3, last book in our ordering of the Old Testament. Malachi 3. You'll notice there in Malachi 3, 6, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from your statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then here's the question. Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here, God says, essentially, it's not like he's sitting up there when we give a tenth and go, oh man, I am so, that's so wonderful. That's so nice of them. Actually, he says, if we don't do that, it's, it's robbing. Again, not to get into all the old covenant and new covenant differences, but my question is, why would we want to do less? Why would we not care? Why would we trust less? Why would we have less gratitude, want to be less generous and less giving? Notice again, though, as he says it, it's not just do it. He says, if you test me in this, 
I'll bless you. Now, this again, I know you can turn on the TV and it's like you'll get a new car, this, that, and that. That's not the point. The point is, is most of us, that you're not worried about these extra things. You're just worried, how are we going to make it in life? How are we going to pay for our kids to go to school? How are we going to meet all of our financial obligations? And God's saying, look, test me. Honor me in this area. Test me in this way. And guess what? I'll bless you. I'll, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing on you until there is no more need. God knows what you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, right? God knows what we need. We get afraid. We think, oh man, if I do that, if I, if I start with that, I, I, I won't make it. God knows that fear, and he's, he's here saying, look, try me. Try me and watch the windows of heaven. And you know, this is, this is the key. What he's after is not your money. He's after your heart. He doesn't really, he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And you know what? How easily we're possessed by our possessions. We're owned by our money. He says, I want you to have no other God before me. I'm God. And the way that you show that I'm God and you begin is in obedience. Trust me. Honor me with your wealth, with the first fruits, and then I'll bless. Back to our Proverbs 3, and then we'll look at one more passage. It says, then um, in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So the nature is the tithe, the amount is the tithe, the nature is first fruits. You give God your best, you give God first. Uh, this one, I, I just have to admit, I know this feeling is how easy it is just to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my tithe check at the end of the month. Do you know what happens when that happens? It's gone, right? Right? Somehow. So what is he saying with first fruits? And however you're paid once a month, once a week, once a year, whatever. What do we do? And by the way, nobody knows. Only one person in our church even knows what anybody gives. I have no idea. If you give what you give, don't want to know. That's between you and God. But God knows. You know, that's the important issue, right? Are you honoring God in that way? Is that important to you? The whole church can see whether we're giving, whether we're supporting. And I just have to say, for a little church, we somehow, you, this must, you must take this really seriously. You give, right? We've been able to, to go for eight years, small group of people, but we've continued. So first fruits mean right out of the gate, before you figure out how you're going to pay everything else, you do that. That's hard. That's a step of faith. And you give him the best. In Malachi, in the first chapter, it says, they, were, they, they said, all right, we'll give you the first fruits, but we're going to bring in our sick, our lame, our blind lambs, right? That's what we're going to give you. We're going to give you the worst. So it's possible to give God the first, but just give him, you know, stuff that's not worth anything. And, and here he's saying we need to trust him with the first and with the best. And then notice what he says, verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I almost get embarrassed when I read the promises of God. But he's reassuring us. Look, you're not, if you honor me with your wealth and you give your tithe and you give offerings on top of that, I'm not going to let you sink. 
And, and I don't know about your experience, but mine has been when, when I trust God in this area, which is very hard for me to do, when I trust God in this area, it is one of the most exciting things to see him provide. And he provides in crazy ways. I mean, just crazy things that, that happen when you trust him. And then it becomes that adventure of faith. You know what? I've walked with the Lord. I've trusted him in this area. And I've seen him prove faithful over and over and over and over again. And you know what? God blesses us, not so that we can go, well, now, all right, I, was, I did this, and now I've got all this that I can just spend on my own selfish wants. Sure, God wants us to be provided for. He's, he's not against, Apostle Paul says, I know how to abound. I know how to enjoy when I've got a little more, but I know how to be abased as well. I've learned the secret. I can do all things. Uh, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, he knows that. But God wants to then give you a new heart. And a new heart is, is Jesus makes it really clear. This is Jesus' words. In Acts, red letters, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So you say, well, I don't have much. Isn't that beautiful? God doesn't, he says, he knows that we don't all have the same. But he says, take a step of faith with what you do have. Honor me with what you have. And this is what, you know what that word blessed means? Now, I know people want to go real, real spiritual. And it does mean more than I'm getting ready to say, but it does not mean less than the fact that you will be really happy. You'll be really happy. It's, it's a joy to actually have something that you can contribute and you can help and you can be a part of. It's a joy. It blesses you for giving. It blesses the one that was given. It blesses God because you were obedient. You trust him. It's joy. I mean, they've actually, believe it or not, researchers have done studies on this. Of, of If you give a person a $20 bill at the beginning of the day and you say that you can either spend this on yourself or you can give it to somebody else. And I don't know how they set up their experiments. But at the end of the day, the, they found that the people who gave the $20 away were significantly happier than the people who spent the $20 on themselves. I mean, this is just completely secular people. I'm telling you, God, who knows how he wired you, says, you know what? It's actually a whole lot more fun to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's a giving God. Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that in him we who were poor might be made rich. Not, not just rich in stuff, but, but rich in the things of the Spirit. Then we know how to use the things that are of the physical world in a way that's not adulterous, but in a way that is a blessing. God is not saying this so that he can take from you and make you less happy. He actually knows what will make you happy. And he is giving you this word. And he tells you right there, he says, you're going to test me? And your barns are going to be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So God is so clear and so plain. I just want to show you one more verse, and we're done for today. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, just because sometimes people say, oh, all that give and you'll be blessed, that's kind of Old Testament stuff. This is Jesus. Look what he says in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the same thing. I mean, I am the Lord your God, I change not. Right? Jesus is saying one of the foundational principles, what we need and, and part of sanctification to become, like, to become godly, to become Christ-like, is to stop thinking our security is in hoarding and having and getting and holding on to at any cost. He says, give. And when you give, then he, you recognize, he says, you'll be given back to. And God is not a, he's not a stingy returner. He's going to give you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And he's saying, look, how are you measuring? How are you measuring? If you measure, if you're stingy, that's the measure it comes back to you. You know, I, I, I admire people and pray that God would make me more like this, but I admire people. There's some people, man, they just literally, we know, we've had a few in our life, in this church. Just give. Just give. Just give, 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 give. Not just money, their time, their life. They just somehow have learned the secret of life, which is not how can I hold on and have and, and live a narrow, tight life, but how can I give it away? Let me just tell you, all this stuff's going to burn up. Are you investing in heaven above where... Moths and rust can't destroy and thieves won't steal? Are you investing in eternal things? God's given you that opportunity. I pray that we would begin to live as good stewards of what he's entrusted to us by honoring him with our wealth and with the first fruits of all that he's given to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we all come, and Lord, I, I know even this week as I was thinking about this, saw so many ways, Lord, that I am so fearful in this area. But Lord, you've never failed. And Lord, I've never met someone who's honored you in this way that you failed. Lord, not so that we can waste or be selfish, but so that we can we can have what we need in this life and we can have to be able to give and to help and to serve. So Lord, just help us right now. Set us free from the master of mammon that is a terrible God to serve. Set us free from the love of money which is a root of all kinds of evil. Help us to love you, to trust you, to fear you. Not to fear lack, not to fear scarcity. Fear you. Lord, knowing that if we're your children, you will look after us. Oh, Lord, I pray that every person from the youngest person in this room who walks with you, that we would learn the joy of being generous, of giving faithfully, regularly, systematically to your work through the church, to the poor and needy in our community, and that, Lord, as we do, that you would bless us, that we would be filled with incredible happiness because we have become more like you and more like your son who gave all so that we could have you. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus and together God's people said, amen.